Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing this beautiful day today? I'm recovering. Uh, I know. You kind of gave me the, the tidbits of it, but have you licked all the wounds from the Astros not winning the World Series? It's been a process. I'm sure it has. Um, you always want to win, and certainly they went out in disappointing fashion in as much as you, you know what they're capable of, and you didn't see that. Mm. But at least it was the Braves and not, you know, other teams. I was just going to ask that, and, so yeah. You know, another part of it is you think about how spoiled you are that you're complaining about the World Series when... You know, there's a lot of other teams that I used to go to the stadium when you could pretty much walk in for $4 and go wherever you wanted because you were one of 20 people there. Yeah. So, you know, I try and maintain that perspective, although, you know, you know, there's a window, you want them to do everything they can. So it was tough, but the future is still bright. It is. So that that was going to be my question is, is what does that look like? Are there going to be some major off season shuffles? Does next year look promising? I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think it looks promising. You know, everybody's talking about Carlos Correa and where he's going to go. And, you know, the Astros made an offer and I think someone will give him stupid money for way too long. And you probably don't want that kind of contract, honestly. But, you know, yeah, of course, everybody's emotionally attached and doesn't want to see him go. Yeah. And then, but everyone's like, oh, then we lose this great shortstop. I'm like, no doubt. But it's not like there's just a black hole now. It's, <laughs> guess what? We have money. We'll find somebody. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully they shore up the pitching a little bit more in free agency and a few of the other areas of weakness. But, like, most of the team is, un- you know, under control and coming back. And especially yeah. some, a lot of the favorites and a lot of, newfound favorites from this year so yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. so if you had if you, if you were managing the team would you let Craig go or would you keep him i mean it depends on how much like so good point if he'll take five or six years okay but he's a guy who's been chronically injured yeah this is his first full season of playing granted he was excellent but it's not like he tore it up in the playoffs and right. you know was our the guy that changed everything mm. and i don't know if this is an appropriate term i call it fat elvis money but basically you pay somebody when they're young good looking elvis yeah and then they're overweight and kind of washed up 10 years later and you're still paying them this obscene amount of money yeah and unfortunately they're affecting your ability to get other players and do other things and so in baseball you know it's generally not it usually doesn't end well Mm. So if okay. we can keep shorter term, I'm okay with the dollars. But if, if, you know, if he wants eight or 10 years, then we wish him well. I hope he goes to a team like the Yankees or something where he can be a boat anchor on their payroll. <laughs> right. Hopefully not a boat anchor on our payroll. Yeah. Nobody wants that, including myself. Anyway, moving on, reactive chemical additions this is a topic that, you know, we're going to discuss today. And I kind of had to read that a couple of times because I feel like anytime you add something, it's reacting to something else. But how would you describe reactive chemical additions, Matt? So I guess probably the one of the ways I try and characterize it is 
you know, additives that would utilize the timing of a chemical reaction to activate or perform a function. Mm -hmm. And I thought this topic would be interesting just because there are a few of those additives out there. We don't use them a ton. There are reasons for that. But it's also one of those as we get more sophisticated with chemistry, maybe this area will grow. I I don't know. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. Like you add a chemical, it reacts. That's the point to some degree. But these, I would say, are sort of, you know, we're intentionally trying to make something happen down a hole, behave a little different. And, and some of them, I think, are familiar to, you know, some of our fluids colleagues and others might be a little different or new. Makes sense. So just generally speaking, where are some of these areas or from operationally speaking, when would you use something specific like a reactive chemical like you're speaking of? So I think, you know, there's sort of the application and the situation, but like think about lost circulation, for example. So I want to pump something really, really thick, but I might plug off the BHA or, you know, I might have to come back in open-ended. So what if I was able to, you know, pump something that sets up after it goes through the BHA? Maybe it's, you know, filter cake breakers are another really common thing, which, you know, that was sort of my bag for a while. So I'm sort of can't help but bring up those Mm -hmm. applications. Yeah. But think about, you know, you're trying to remove filter cake and, you know, if you're in an open hole completion, you're trying to do this. The option was go back in on coil tubing and pump acid, or if you could spot one of these pills, it would slowly react over time. It would go go through those reactions down hole, and you'd eliminate some equipment and extra steps in the process, and it saved money and time. So those are kind of the, you know, lost circulation, I think, is, is kind of a big field of, of potential. And then filter cake breakers, it's almost like it's a, it's a standard area of use. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So... There's, you mentioned a couple of terms here, and, and I want to start with a settable type product. Can you describe what that would be and some of the products that are used for a settable application? Yeah. So let's think of cement and everything less, right? So you pump something, it's a liquid, it solidifies once it's down hole after a series of, of chemical reactions. And so, you know, in the, in the fluid loss, or in the loss circulation realm, these would be, instead of pumping a, fl- a high fluid loss squeeze, you might pump one of these to stop really serious losses. Mm-hmm. So there's these cross-linked polymer pills that actually set up and form kind of like a rigid plug. Sometimes they'll set up as a gel, but they can actually have some compressive strength to them. But you're basically adding a cross-linker to the polymer in a pit. You may actually even add an accelerator or a retarder, just like you would cement to slow or accelerate the reaction right. relative to where you're going to pump it and basically spot it. And hopefully it goes into the loss zone and locks up. Right. So another one that's kind of the synthetic cement realm. So these would be like resins. So they set up really, really hard, but they're just kind of viscous when you pump them. If you think of these you know, kind of like an epoxy, if you've ever used epoxy to seal something, right? Yeah. You mix the two things together and you're on the clock, right? And of course, that gets real sticky and nasty and sticks to everything. <laughs> but yes, we use them in the oil field a lot of times for kind of work over, you know, re- repair a, a hole in something or even, you know, on top of cement. But they exist. I think they're, the main thing I've learned about a lot of those additives is they're pretty nasty. So resins... I think they work pretty well if you use them right. Yeah. But the components are not rig friendly. So there's sort of a, a trap there, if you will. You need a super controlled environment. Yeah. And I mean, they, you know, contaminants get in the way. 
some of the stuff's flammable, some of the stuff's, you know, just strong odors to be around. Yeah. So. Hmm. Makes yeah. sense. So what about swellable type products? You know, probably the most common one I want to mention is acrylamide, which anybody who really likes, and these are not necessarily my favorites, but they exist. The, you know, swellable material where you pump it and it either hydrates slowly or you pump it in oil-based mud, for example, and you spot some water and it swells up and expands. It's supposed to help seal and losses. So it's, it expands inside the thief zone, hopefully. Right. And, you know, this material is actually from diapers. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's super absorbent. If you've ever seen what a diaper can hold, never enough. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was kind of interesting because when that stuff came out, it sort of had this initial, like everybody wanted to use it. And then like, it turns out there's not that many places that manufacture this polymer and some like diaper plant in Japan blew up or caught on fire. And so there was a big shortage of it. Wow. And, you you know, it was harder to get. And then, you know, now you can kind of get it anywhere. You know, usually it's blended with other things on, on an LCM tree, but it exists. And basically, we don't want it to swell until it gets down hole. Right. right? Yep. No, that totally makes sense. Then kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have products that will actually self-degrade, right? Yes. And this is where we get into a lot of the filter cake breaker stuff. And so some of these can be liquids, but a lot of them, when I talk about self-degrading, are actually solid particles that you would pump. So PLA or polylactic acid or polyglycolic acid, what happens is basically you, you pump these things and when they're exposed to water, they hydrolyze. So an acid forms and they'll either dissolve themselves and everything around them, or they'll dissolve something you were hoping to remove. So mm. these can be for like fluid loss control pills where you, let's say you perforate and you don't want to go on losses yet. You perforate with this stuff, but oh, it's okay. exposed to the fluid. It starts to self-degrade. Hopefully you're out of the hole by the time you go on losses. So it buys you some time and you don't have to go back in on coil or something and worry about the well flowing. The other part of it, I guess you wouldn't call it self-degrading, but degrading is just spotting basically an acid that hydrolyzes. So Formic acid and acetic acid are pretty common. You mix it with brine, so it's got some weight. You pump it down whole, and it begins to convert to acid when it's exposed to the water and the brine. Mm. The interesting thing about these is that, you know, it's a function of the salinity of whatever you're pumping it in, temperature, you know, even what kind of brine it's in. So you've got a bunch of different factors you have to watch out for. And I think that this area, some of it has shown a lot of promise. And basically what I've seen is it kind of hasn't gone anywhere for a little while. Hmm. And as much as the stuff I used to play with, you know, five or 10 years ago is still the stuff we're playing with today, but it would be cool to see some advances in that someday. Yeah, sure thing. Maybe present some opportunity. You never know. Perhaps. Hmm. What about precipitating type products? So think about for shale inhibition, think about silicates. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got a really high pH fluid and we drill through and our... You know, we've got a lower pH where the clays are, so it precipitates out that silicate and creates a membrane that limits hydration and gives you that, you know, gauge bear, you know, gauge hole. Mm -hmm. So this is actually, it's soluble at this high pH, it's insoluble at a lower pH where it would interact with formation, and voila, we have intentional reaction happening down hole to help us with drilling. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, silicates are an interesting fluid and one that we've used in Canada quite a bit. There, I think there's maybe a handful of areas down here in the U.S., but definitely has a, an interesting 
characteristic when you're dealing with it on a rig. But if anyone's out there has ever used it, you know, feel free to hit us up because we always like to hear stories and experience from people who've actually touched it and seen these types of things. Moving on, digesting complexing type products. So these are, we're going back to breakers to some degree, but so let's say I actually have some starch in my filter cake and I'm trying to remove it. Mm -hmm. Enzymes work awesome for that. They're really cheap. They're basically catalytic, so they just keep eating away and eating away. They don't get consumed. Like digestive enzymes. Exactly. (laughs) But they're eating your starch in your drilling fluid filter cake. That's it. Um, And keylents, which would complex things. So think of, you know, like EDTA, the same thing, you know, we use in our titrations to, it ties up that calcium metal. Okay. It will tie up calcium in calcium carbonate. There is a keylent that they claim will dissolve bayrite. If you ask Lee or myself or anybody else who's worked with it, we would love to see who came up with those claims and where their data is. Boom. But Challenge uh, accepted (laughs) by somebody. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) show me somewhere. But, you know, keylents can get rid of calcium carbonate. They also, if you leave them in the pits too long, make them really shiny because they'll eat up rust. But basically they complex or tie up the metal ion. And so that's that's another one where you're intentionally having this. It's a fairly slow reaction, but it gets rid of some material downhole. Interesting. No, I guess, yeah. Huh, that's some pretty powerful stuff. Have well, you used that? Anyways? Oh, yeah, I used to use it all the time. So keylents are actually super safe, very environmentally friendly. So okay. on, on a, if you look in your shampoo, there might be some EDTA. Okay. You could probably eat it. Hmm, another challenge accepted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, they're generally very green and they're used in detergents and other, you know, cleansers and that sort of thing. Okay. And so the issue for the oil field, of course, is they're expensive, but they do work. They're pretty cool. They're kind of like basically like an acid, but they work slowly. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. No, it's not. I've heard the term, but not on the drilling fluid side of things. So, I mean, these are all interesting concepts and obviously technologies that do have applications, but with everything, we always have to consider limitations. Matt, what would you consider some of the limitations behind a lot of these products and applications? I mean, I think one of the big things is it's difficult to stop these things once it's started. So if you think about Mm. settable LCM, for example, you're on crazy loss. Just think, think, put your, you know, you're the mud engineer. You're on crazy losses. You have this expensive pill you need to mix in the pit. You've got to do these calculations, not only to make sure it's spotted in the right place, but that you put the right amount of accelerant or retarder because you don't want it setting up in your pit or in the pipe or in the tools. And you want that reassurance. But how do you know when is the exact right time to, you know, everything's hurry up and right, wait, right? Mm -hmm. Someone tells you to throw in the, you know, the last ingredient that will start the chemical reaction and then a pump goes down. Or somebody says, oh, wait, just kidding. And guess what? You're already on the clock. And so you've either got to basically try and find something to, you're probably not going to stop this reaction, but you're probably going to have to add some additive that disrupts it from setting up. Right. Otherwise, you're going to be in a, a world of hurt. And so, you know, it's costly if you make a mistake or if you don't place it in the right spot. You know, if you don't get it all the way out of the drill pipe and it sets up inside the drill pipe and now you can't circulate. Yeah. Like these are... These are real serious problems, which one, I think leads to a tremendous amount of reluctance to use them and because it's just difficult to time out exactly when, unless you were spotting like an activation fluid after you already placed it, you know? Sure, yeah. I mean, even, you know, you look at silicates, like you can, you can pump silicates in an all oil environment, like spot them somewhere. And then when they encounter water, they'll 
react with clay or whatever and, and set up, which is kind of a cool little technique as long as they don't see water anywhere. You know, so you sometimes you need to control a rig environment. And just reliability in general has so many different factors that when someone says, hey, I want this to set up at this bottom hole temperature this many hours from now, what's my formulation? You've got to get into the lab. You've got to hope the lab replicates your environment. It could vary by, you know, I mentioned salinity. I mean, some of those esters, it's actually, even though they react with water, the more salt that's in there, they'll actually convert over faster. Mm. Because for whatever reason, they seem to find the water that's available. And if you if there's less free water available, yeah. it seems to find it more quickly. And then it sort of catalyzes itself uh, and, and goes off. I can see it. So you've got to amount for all of these things. And the question is, you know, I need it to work between four hours and eight hours. Or I need it to last at least four hours. Right. And so just when you start playing with chemistry, the uncertainty gets bigger. We all know that there's so many unpredictable things in the oil field. And I think that's sort of limited some of these things. Although I think on the lost circulation side, I mean, when we know we're losing, we don't have a lot of options. Maybe we pick up one of these. Maybe, you know, yeah. it's actually a better option than trying to come out of the hole, go in open-ended, those kinds of things. And so it's just, yes, there's a lot of limitations. And, and it's almost like I wanted to list out some of these concepts with the idea, like, you know, Somebody's on their way to a rig and they're like, well, what if, and we get kind of the next great idea. Right. Just because I think, I think if we could merge rig operations and practical rig understanding with when these things have a place, maybe we have another tool in the toolbox yep. or several. Right. No. And that's what it's all about is having options and really just understanding what they're actually used for and where the value is understanding the limitations, the risks, but understanding really, again, what kind of tools are out there. Because there's a lot of things that, you know, in drilling fluids throughout the years and decades that have come up and then kind of died off, come up, died off. And the more you understand, I mean, again, like you said, you could be going somewhere, there could be a problem. You say, wait, I remember hearing about this type of product. And next thing you know, it's like, well, wow, that actually is the right application, good product fit. And so, again, I'm glad you brought this up, Matt. It's, it's a lot of these are very foreign, you know, to myself included, but understanding what they are and what they're used for and their potential is great. So those are all the questions I had, Matt, you got any closing last words? I guess the only other thing that came to mind was just remembering having been involved with some of these. The other fun part when you're in crisis mode on the lost circulation situation is when the first instruction says that you need to clean the pits before you pump it. <laughs> some of these also require even fairly pristine conditions on a rig. Yeah. And so I think once again, if we can if we can connect the lab a little bit more practically to the field, mm. maybe we'd maybe we'd have some more options. That's a great point, Matt. And if anyone out there's had any experience with any of the products or applications we've talked about today, let us know and you know share a good story or you know possibly a good lesson learned. We're always willing to share that with the rest of the group. And you know, again, hit us up on LinkedIn. You can find Matt and I both on there. Follow AES on LinkedIn. We're always creating and posting a lot of good content, a lot of technical information for a lot of the listeners and supporters of AES. You can also reach out to us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. And with that said, Matt, should we get back to work? Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take, Take care. care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. 
Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.